0: Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithliday, I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Adam Holland. How you
1: doing? Doing well. Anytime we get a win over the Huskies, I'm always going to be in a good mood. So, uh, yeah, hard-fought game and ready to talk about it.
0: Uh, yeah, we were recording this, uh, mere moments after, uh, Oregon, uh, defeated Washington in Seattle on the, uh, uh, the men's basketball side. Um, but before we get to that, uh, uh, you wrote up, um, Oregon's, uh, conference opener uh, against UCLA, um, which was, uh, uh, a pretty decisive win, you know, the, the final score wound up being, uh, uh, five points, although Oregon was basically in control of the game, uh, the entire way. Um, is, is that how you would characterize it?
1: Yeah. Um, to, to start the game, it was very back and forth, but, uh, Oregon kind of started to take control towards the end of the first half. And um, I think once once they took control, it was it was you know they they had the reins in their hands. Now um, UCLA was able to get back into the game uh, by taking advantage of size mis- uh, mismatches, which as long as Dante and Biddle are out, are going to happen. Um, yeah. I think I think the Ducks did a pretty good job of fighting through that. Luckily, um, especially later in the game when UCLA was kind of making their their charge to try and, you know, even things up, Oregon kept shooting very well. And uh, I think the three-pointers falling really made all the difference, and uh, especially the the flurry by Shellstad because UCLA had actually battled back to reclaim the lead early in the second half, and uh, that was after Oregon had, you know, seemingly taken control heading into halftime. But, uh, yeah, then they had, uh, uh, you know, three, like, consecutive triples by Shellstad and even one a, a few minutes later that was, you know, from almost like the logo. And so, uh,
0: yeah, i like thing... time running out on the shot clock. It was like an inbounds. And I mean, it was like Lillard desk, you know? Yeah.
1: If it there's one sure. thing we're finding out about this kid, it's that he, he has the clutch gene and he likes, he likes those moments. And so that's, that's uh, great to see from freshmen.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, really like, you know, statistically speaking, the, uh, you, you know, uh, Oregon performed well offensively. Um, the, you're right about the three point shooting. It was 40% three point shooting. And that was led by, um, uh, 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 Shellstad, although you know Kuzenard was three for six from behind the arc, um, yeah. uh, w- you know which is pretty good. Uh, Meanwhile, you know you know Kwabi Evans was zero for three, and and, and Oquendo was zero for two. But man, I cannot figure out uh, Oquendo. Like you know that dude will be a stud in certain games and just absolutely disappear in, in other games. Like you know, he disappeared against UCLA, he disappeared against Washington, but he was great against, uh, against USC in between, you know, like, yeah. I, I, I just can't figure that dude out. I mean, sort of a similar story about Jadreen Tracy, who was great against UCLA and then, you know, did nothing against UW tonight. Like, yeah. Uh, uh, although Altman had him on the floor in the final minutes, um, I, yeah, I, you know, how Altman is managing the, the bench players in in this like weird era is, uh, or, you know, in this time without uh, Dante or Biddle is, is, you know, he aligns Rubik's cubes, man. Um, Yeah,
1: Yeah, it's tough. It's um, yeah, we definitely need to see some more consistency out of players, especially with uh, the injuries to our bigs. And uh, like you said, kind of like, Oquendo and Tracy just being kind of like on again, off again, on again, off again. Um, You know, it's great on the nights when they contribute heavily, but then on the nights when they don't, it creates, you know, a a rotation issue, especially for Altman, you know, kind of being like, okay, is this someone I can rely on on a consistent basis? Um, As far as, you know, the continued improvement, I've uh, I've also been impressed with Kwame Evans. Um, I think he's done a great job stepping in as kind of like the – you know, faux big for us yeah. while Dante and Biddle are out um, and kind of really having to take over that, that five position, whereas he was really coming in more as like a four, you know, to kind of like back up. Yeah. Yeah. The centers, but I've, I've been impressed with him. I think he's, I think he's picking things up really quickly. And uh, again, like, you know, showing why he was a five-star recruit being out there on the floor
0: yeah no, he's like he's super valuable that's what bad runner and i were talking about um uh on the last podcast uh you know where you know evans is big but he's not a big you know like he's um like and, and i mean this is part of the dana altman aligning rubik's cubes thing is that like you you can't really ask him to play center like i mean even if he were even if that were his skill set which it's not really he's just like he's a freshman like he doesn't have the muscle mass to 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 just like shoulder dudes out of the way you know to play down low in the post but like he does have the size to grab rebounds he does have the size to you know to make some moves inside and you can sort of get like I don't know, 75% of what you need out of a center from him. And then yeah. you sort of supplement the defensive production with, you know, guys like Cousinard, which is why, you know, Cousinard is getting as much like floor time a- as he is. Um, or, or like Diwara, you know, and other, like, you know, Diwara is basically producing like no points, but like his defensive production is pretty good, you yeah. know? And, and so it's sort of like, if you come, if you have Evans and Diora on the floor at the same time, you're like approximating a center. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah. So it's, I mean, they're, 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 they're doing as best as they can. And like you said, you know, Diwara's doing good uh, with the minutes that he's getting. Um, I, you know, he came in kind of like as, you know, it's probably somebody that was just going to be like, you know, rotated in from time to time. Um, but just given, you know, given the state of things, he's really had to step in and uh, play a lot at the five. And I know he's, that he's, you know, undersized at like six, eight, six, nine at the Mm. five position. And it's, you know, it's, it's been rough on him going against like seven footers and stuff like that. But, defensively uh, being able to, you know, get in there and just have another body and, um, you know, on the defensive rebounding and everything. I agree. I think he's, he's been a a nice touch. And I think that, you know, all this, um, when we just received uh, some, some, some updates recently uh, that Dante, you know, may well be back this, uh, this month. And then we even got some, some uh, positive news on Biddle where, It was looking as though he, you know, might be out for the entire season. But apparently when they took the cast off, things were a lot better than they thought it was going to be. So now, you know, Altman's kind of like hinting at, you know, that Biddle could very well play this season. And so you just, you know, you look at the production that uh, that these fours are having at the five right now. And that's only going to, you know, lend itself later when, you know, if, if we do have both Twin Towers back, just that size advantage that we'll have um, against other teams.
0: Well, and it's also, I mean, just like the level of experience that's, that the guys are getting, you know. A sort of cross training, at, at sort of different positions, so that you can have like different configurations on the floor. I think that's valuable. And B, like Oregon's going to have the most experienced bench in the nation. You know, like uh, you, the, you know, their bench players are getting starting minutes, and their walk-ons are getting bench minutes. You know, yeah. like Oregon's going to be the deepest team in the country when there's when, when you know when they, the starters back. And and we'll talk when we switch over to the next time when we talk about the Washington game. We'll talk about the return uh, or the debut of Mookie Cook, but Uh, The other thing that, you know, was notable was the defensive performance, you know, against UCLA. Oregon's been playing pretty decent defensive basketball. Um, But with UCLA, you know, the thing that was sort of clear to me, well, there was two things. Number one was that there was a there was an obvious effort to contain and keep the ball away from Adam Bona. Yeah. Um, and and which was reasonably effective. I mean, he still wound up being their leading scorer. Um, but like, because like, you know, basically every time he touched the ball, you know, it went in, but they only allowed him to shoot seven times. Um, and, and, you know, which I think was a concerted defensive strategy. Um, on the other hand you know part 2 of that defensive observation is they basically were forcing everything out to the perimeter and just daring UCLA to shoot three pointers, and yeah. that strategy worked out because UCLA could not buy no. a three pointer no. for all you know, not cool. love nor money. Yeah. You know, the the you know uh, Dylan Andrews was you know one for seven. Uh, uh, Stefanovic was uh, oh for six. You know, from from beyond the arc, and I mean that's what sunk them. You know, that's what that's what that's what sunk UCLA was. They were three from 19 from beyond the arc. Well, you know, it's it's on UCLA that they couldn't sink their three pointers. You know, like Oregon wasn't casting a magic spell on them that kept them from making three pointers like that. That's on you, Mick. You know, you didn't train up your dudes to sink their three pointers, but it's on it's on dana altman for for the strategy of of you know hey keep it to the perimeter like you know they'll jack up threes and 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 that's a better percentage for oregon than letting him go inside because like these guys are 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 nailing it when they go inside you know the other guy that the the turkish guy whose name i'm not even gonna attempt (laughs) uh uh you know it was also like basically automatic when he, when he would get inside and so yeah. you know it's like just don't let him get inside you know uh like like allow it to you know if if you can get UCLA to think that they've got an a shot from the outside let them take it you know that's a that's a better deal for oregon and guess what it worked out and it's like way to go dana altman you know yeah well <laughs> i mean I you mean, just straight up out coached, you know mick cronin like i mean which
1: happens a lot i mean you know i mean yeah Al- i know there's a surefire hall of fame coach and you know yeah. just what he's continued to do in eugene is is figure things out despite injuries despite transfers despite you know whatever he has historically he has continued to figure out ways to win with what he has and right now oregon is figuring out ways to win with small ball um you know it was it's it's very similar to kind of what happened in 2019 when everything was you know precedented around bull Bowl, you know the big you know seven foot Mm -hmm. two recruit um who could do it all and then you take him away and all of a sudden you're kind of undersized, you know, your biggest guys are Kenny Wooten and Francis Okoro, who are, you know, 6'8", 6'9", and everything, but he he figured out a way to make it work. He figured out, okay, well, we're going to play differently. We're going to play like small ball kind of, you know, and so I think what you're seeing right now is similar to that. He's just, he's figuring out a different way to win with the smaller lineups, and like I said, this time, though, you're going to be getting at least one of your centers back. We know that, and um, it's that's going to make a huge difference because then all of a sudden you have that that rim protector, that you know the, that main man in the middle that kind of um, can open up the defense to spread out a little bit because that's just what UCLA was doing. They were just taking advantage of the fact that Oregon doesn't have a rim protector. They were just like, yeah. all right, you're just going to dump it inside, and you you know you can't really stop us in there. Luckily, like you said, Altman outcoached and Oregon outshot UCLA. And that's how they were able to get out of there with a the win. I,
0: I mean, yeah, like even, you know, e- even with Oregon's sort of con- concerted defensive strategy to, to force everything to the perimeter, like UCLA still won points in the paint you know, 28 to 18, you know, uh, because that, you know, because they had bigs and Oregon didn't, you know, yeah. And, uh, like it's, you know, that that's just the, the, well, it's just the nature of it, you know, Oregon's shorthanded, but you know, D- Dane Altman's a better coach with one hand tied behind his back than just about anybody else's, you know, operating with, yeah. with, you know, free, free reign. You know, that's the other thing that we talked about with Badwater, you know, cause he wrote the, the whole uh, preview series of, of all the, the men's and women's basketball teams. And, and we talked over over the summer about both USC and UCLA um, uh, uh, about how, you know, both of these teams were, You know, both both these teams uh, uh, had lost, you know, quite a bit of their production. You know, as well they might because, hey, they were they were pretty good teams last year. You know, they had a lot of good players, and uh, uh, but they recruited super well, and we didn't know. uh, You know, the the wrap on both of those teams was, look, man, we don't know which of the dudes they're gonna select, but they you know the law of averages is that the, the the way that it works is you buy as many raffle tickets as you can and and some of them are sure to pop right that that mm-hmm. like you know and, and that was what both usc and ucla did was that they they just got so many highly rated recruits mm-hmm. and transfers and good international players in the case of ucla um That it was like, I don't know which ones that Cronin and Enfield are going to select, but they have so many options that they can't go wrong. And so, therefore, you know, you should bet on UCLA and USC to to lead the conference again. Mm -hmm. And then, like, that hasn't worked out. And, like, I don't know if that means that, like, like, did, did, did they like did they get really unlucky and and get like they they bought a ton of raffle tickets and they just had like they had like no winners in them or in the alternate did they have do they have normal luck and there are some winners who are sitting on their bench and those guys are just bad coaches and or bad like you know roster selectors yeah i don't know i don't know what the term for that is uh do you have an opinion on that question from having watched those those
1: teams? Uh, to be perfectly honest, yeah, I, I think it it leans a little bit more toward the latter. I think that the roster management um, is just called into question because even in the UCLA game, you know, I saw certain uh, certain players, you know, would, would would start to heat up and do well, and then they they'd get rotated out, mm-hmm. and um, you know, it's like what what Altman tends to do is he really tries to find what group you know clicks for that particular mm-hmm. game and it always may be somebody different you know like you said there's you know some guys that just show up and some that that don't always show up and everything but what he does is he, he's a great in-game manager and so he's he's always able to find kind of like you know oh this group is clicking right now so this is the one that I'm going to utilize for most of this particular game You don't see, um, you didn't see at least the, uh, you know, the USC and UCLA be able to do that as much. Um, They would just kind of stick to whatever rotation they had uh, planned from the get-go, regardless of who was actually producing and who wasn't.
0: Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I, I agree with you, at least when I was watching this game, you know, this UCLA versus Oregon game, in particular, when it came to Dylan Andrews, like, I mean, he I I don't know if he's just having a bad night or, you know, I sort of think I've been seeing that from him all all year. Um, But it's like he should have been rotated out like, you know, he only put up seven points. You know, he was, he was two for 12 from the floor. Like I said earlier, is was one for seven from the, like he couldn't stop jacking up threes and missing them. Like it was sort of Oregon's whole strategy was to funnel him the ball and let him jack up a three and he'd miss it. Like Mm he, he kept committing fouls, you know, which sent Oregon to the three point line. Oregon's a very good three or excuse me, free throw, you know, shooting team. He's not a good defensive player. Like his plus minus is net negative. Um, you know he's not a good rebounder. Uh, you know, like, and, and so, and I understand he's sort of their ball handler, but like, I, I don't know if he was having an an off night. It was time to like find a different guy to do that for him. And if they don't have a different guy to do that for him, then well, that's on you, Mick. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. that's that, gotta that's, be
1: that's gotta be better in game management, and particularly first and second half adjustments, another yeah. area in which Altman excels.
0: Yeah. Although everything that I just said is an indictment of Kelly Graves.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I hear the whistling of a bomb falling, maybe getting ready for yeah. Kelly Graves soon enough, but uh, mm-hmm. that's just a hint.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk about the, uh, the the Washington game that just finished up in basketball.
1: So bit of a thriller. Yeah, um, probably was closer than it should have been, uh, realistically. I thought that uh, once Oregon kind of took control there in the second half and nabbed the lead, that it was really kind of theirs for the taking. Um, especially, you know, when they when they bolstered it to like five, seven points. Uh, they probably should have realistically been able to put that away better than they did. Um, again, just kind of like the interior, the lack of interior defense, reared to the head. Uh, you had just a lot of slashing and a lot of cutting to the hoop for Washington that would, uh, you know, either end up in, in inside baskets for them or kicks for open three pointers. And it's, uh, it's, you know, it's frustrating because. And, you know, and I'm not just, not just saying this out of hatred for, you know, the Huskies, but Washington is just, they're, they're not really a good basketball team, period. And so. You know,
0: that was the thing that was funny. It's like, you know, Ken Palm has them rated as a little bit high, you know, like they're, they're like 48 and Oregon's 52, you know, like, you know, they're close, Um but, it, you know, and it should be said about Washington that they didn't have Francis Kepnong, uh, you know, in this game, True. you know, the 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 traitor uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, who defected from Oregon to Washington, um, you know, and so, you know, Oregon's out, you know, it's big, you know. Uh, uh, they got, you know, Mookie cook, but you know, he, 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 he they played him sort of sparingly. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think he only got, you know, about six minutes on the floor, although he, he scored four points, you know, yeah. so his, we his didn't... points to minutes ratio, I think was the highest <laughs> of any of anybody who played on either team. Yeah. We uh, didn't,
1: we didn't really get a chance to find out a whole lot about Mookie cook tonight other than he can dunk the basketball and yeah. that he probably needs to continue with his conditioning.
0: <laughs> I, I mean i saw t- two different players one for each team miss a dunk in this game so like yeah you know that d- don't don't say he can dunk a basketball as though that's a trivial thing <laughs> 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 apparently yeah, he's not in seattle um but uh uh y- y- yeah the the um you know, so Washington was a little shorthanded. I mean, not as shorthanded as Oregon is, but like, uh, you know, that, that should be said. Uh, it was funny too, because like the way that Washington plays basketball, you, you're, you're right that I felt like Oregon had this game in control once they built up a lead and then they sort of gave it up. And it was funny because I felt like I had a pithy line to describe this game and then it evaporated the pithy line that I thought I had to describe this game was that Oregon had athletes and Washington had shooters Mm -hmm. and that athletes are going to beat shooters every time. Um, and, and then Washington sort of turned on some athleticism at at the end of the game or where they were sort of slashing in and making baskets. And I was like, Oh, well, there goes my narrative. Um, But for for most of the game, that narrative obtained, you know, like Washington was, you know, shooting the ball. But like, you know, Oregon just had
1: him beat on athleticism. Well, exactly. Um, And that's why in those those kind of like clutch moments with the game tied both times, they couldn't stop Oregon from getting inside and getting hoops. You know, you didn't have to rely on like you know, shell-stabbed 30-foot shots because they were attacking and Washington couldn't stop them because their athleticism was better.
0: Well, I mean, I'll tell you what the stat of the... I mean, on like, looking at the statistical production, like, it's almost identical. Like, in every... Like, you know, or are Oregon, you know, shot pretty much nominally, right? You know, they, they shoot 48.4% from the floor, exactly 333 percent from beyond the arc, which you know, I love to see those numbers. They they're 10 from 13 um from the free throw line. Uh, you know, nobody fouls out. Like the only one who gets even a little bit of trouble is Jadrian Tracy, but like I said, I don't really mind. Um, like his plus minus is terrible. Um uh uh, you know, they get a little bit of contribution from everybody. Um, but you know, basically, as we have been used to seeing, like pretty much, you know, all their production has been or the, the vast majority of the production is coming from Shellstat uh Evans, and then they usually it, it's been a rotation between like who the third guy that they're getting their production from. Sometimes it's Oquendo, sometimes it's Cousinard, Uh yeah. th- this game it was Cousinard. Kinsonard has
1: probably been you know the 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 other person on the team who's been the most consistent as far yeah. as yeah being on the floor they definitely definitely seem to have are, are at least the makings of a little dynamic duo there in the backcourt
0: but i mean you know rigsby you know uh drained three uh, three pointers so nine yeah. points which was three. great to see because rigsby
1: yeah. had been colder than ice lately so.
0: yeah um uh, you, you know Diawara, you know put put in, you know put in six, you know Bartholomew, I oh, don't put in two. Uh, I, I don't know They, You know er- everybody chipped in a little bit, which was nice. But you know, yeah. here, But if you flip over and look at the Washington stats, like all of their stats are almost identical. Like in fact, they shot a little bit better. You know, they 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 shoot fifty percent from the floor and forty two percent from beyond the arc. Although that really just means they made you know effectively it means they made one more uh three-pointer uh but here's the thing they go 12 for 22 from the charity stripe you know in a game they lost by two like there it is man you know make your free throws Mm
1: -hmm. like and you could tell the was starting getting to get, get into their head towards the yeah. end of the game there, because you know it was almost like you know they were just stepping up with these players that were at least eighty percenters from the line, or that even they were missing them. It wasn't well, just like the bad form of a.
0: I mean, no man. It's one. It was one guy. He's Keon Brooks. Yeah. Who was, who was five for twelve? Like everybody else was shooting fine. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, Braxton Mia, you know, missed both of his, but, but he like, can't, he can't shoot free. Yeah. I know, I know. Cause he's <laughs> like 12 feet tall. Like he, yeah. the only thing that he is is tall, like, um, yeah. the, uh, yeah. But like, yeah, Brooks is five for 12 and that's why, you know, that's why Washington lost the game. Like, you Know in, in a game where Vegas had him favored by 4.5 and Ken Palm had him, you know, the, the, the Ken Palm metric is, is a little closer to two and a half, uh, like and and that's you know with home court, um, like yeah, it's because you know, dude, dude was in his head and couldn't make his free throws, like yeah. and, and meanwhile, Oregon not rattled on the road, um, and and made their free throws, uh, you know, Oregon put. Uh, uh, their players into foul trouble. They wound up getting uh, Moses Wood fouled out. Um, mm-hmm. they had Corn Johnson uh in foul trouble. And, you know, so Corn Johnson contributes double di- digit uh, uh points, uh, but uh, on only twenty six minutes. That's because he was in foul trouble. Like you know, so. yeah. I mean, again, I, I mean, I, def- I just feel like Dana Altman outcoached his competition, you know, with with one hand tied behind his back, like,
1: yeah, which is which is becoming pretty trademark for him at this point, you know. I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a whole lot of question that he clearly is the dean of Pac-12 coaches. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh,
0: I, I mean, like, who else would it be? Like, at this point, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you, you know. Uh, hopefully,
1: hopefully, yeah, we'll get to continue to see a little more of Mookie Cook's development and um, really see get him out onto the floor and see what that third blue chipper can do because Evans and Shellstad have already been. I th- I think you know for for what it's worth, I think they've both been playing very well. Um, you don't yeah. you don't always get the production you want out of your, uh, you know your your five star blue chippers. <laughs> Hello, where? <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> Uh Yeah, I I am looking forward to seeing a little bit more of what Cook can do when he's uh, fully healthy and conditioned, because I, I, I like the the length and athleticism that he already brought to the floor tonight. And so just uh, compounding upon that, we'll see what else he can do out there.
0: Yeah, definitely. And uh, and I mean, I, I mean, I, I already like Evans's size, you know, and, and that's with him. Yeah, that's with him as a true freshman. Like I, I'm really looking forward to him as a sophomore. Yeah, um, for sure. And, and the amount of leadership that Shellstad is demonstrating as a true
1: freshman, I mean, like, oh yeah, I, I was super high on this kid before he even suited up for the Ducks. Oh yeah, you were and writing
0: articles about it. I yeah. was,
1: I was super high on this kid from the get go, and I just could not be more happy that that, that that this is coming to fruition. I just, I had a feeling. This would be another kind of Pritchard-esque situation. But like we were discussing on the last podcast, at, at this point compared to Pritchard as a freshman, he is cleanly outperforming him
0: well I, he's already um you know started down the same road as Peyton Pritchard who was undefeated in Seattle and uh, declared himself the mayor of that town. yes yes I'm uh, looking Jeff, forward to
1: seeing shellstad shouting this is my town as a the Seattle well, <laughs> he,
0: he's one and0 in Seattle there you go that's that's how you like to start uh all right uh let's take a break uh when we come back we'll uh talk a little football recruiting So Oregon, uh, football signed their uh, best recruiting class ever. Uh, we have been breaking down the, uh, the recruits by sort of their general skill uh, or position groups. You started off by writing about the offensive skill position players, um, uh, which sort of, a you know, runs the gamut from quarterbacks to running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, uh, uh, got a favorite player uh, from the, from, from these.
1: um My favorite, at least um, who, who we nabbed. Uh, I really liked um Ryan Pelham and I really liked the fact. Is, is that because
0: that Oregon stolen from USC? Yeah.
1: I mean, <laughs> stealing him from USC was the thing, but uh, I think, I think, you know, we, we had a huge haul um, for, for the, uh, for the, the wide out position for sure. Um, but I, what I really like about Pelham is, um, is, is, is that he is, is probably the more consistent across the board as a receiver. Um, when you look at kind of like what some of the other, you know, players can do like Dylan Gresham, you know, he kind of comes across as more of a, almost like a, you know, a hybrid. You know, because he had like, you know, the, the almost 1700 all-purpose yards. Uh, but when you're just talking like a, you know, a, a pure receiver, I, I like, you know, the the, the smaller size. I'll, I'll say that Ryan Pelham, at least from just like, you know, from the film that I've seen of him and just from the stats that I've seen, he, he, he gives me a Braylon Addison vibe and you know what i mean just kind of like maybe one of those like slightly undersized receivers that can really kind of like kill you in 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 the clutch um he was he was you know the more league player of the year he was an under armor all-american um we we, you know we love those polynesian players um and uh yeah again of course stealing him from usc uh was was also a great gift but um yeah, altogether, it was a, a, a big haul as far as, uh, you know, pass catchers. Um, not only did we really load up on the uh, on 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 the on the wideouts, but we also, you know, secured a couple of uh, pretty big tight ends, especially uh, the big boy uh, Salipago from uh, Utah. And so, uh, a, you know, we're still waiting on word, um, you know, for, for you know, some returnees of that position or whatever. But it's. Uh, it's, it's great to bring in a lot of, uh, uh fresh blood, uh, at, at, the, at those, uh, pass catching positions.
0: Uh, yeah, I, um, if I'm, if I'm not allowed to select, I mean, like my, my favorite is Jeremiah McClellan, uh, sort of, sort of similar reasons because Oregon swiped him from Ohio state, which, I yeah. uh, you know, in, in my, in my opinion, uh, uh, Ohio state is the greater threat than USC. Oh Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I I like to, you know, yeah, for that reason. And, and, uh, and he was
1: an all American and state champion and everything. And McClellan's a big get.
0: I will uh, I, I'm gonna go with my, my favorite being uh, uh, Sally Paga though um, simply because of the the strategic nature of the tight end um, although well that or uh, Pugliano uh, it's cool that he's from from Oregon um, uh, Pugliano is he's from Medford um uh, you know one or the yeah. other I'm not sure you know but like both of those guys have I mean right now they're like 220 or, or 225 or so like somewhere in that neighborhood but with with the tight ends that oregon has you know in the pipeline which is this is a good position to be in like this is why you stack classes um so that you're not like, Oh my God, we got to get you right now. And we got to get you on the field because we need you, buddy. It's like, Hey, you know what, dude, why don't you chill and work on the training table for like two years and we'll see as a like, you know, red shirt sophomore. Um, you know, I want to see, you know, Sally Paga and or uh, Pugliano, um, when they're like, You know, I want to see them like 18 to 24 months from now when they're, you know, a little like closer to 250 and, and and can really like and can do the all around tight end thing where, you know, they are blocking, they are, you know, the strategic tight end where like the whole thing about a tight end is where, when they line up, you have no idea what they're going to do. You don't know whether they're going to, it's going to be a run or a pass, you know, whether they're going to block you, whether they're going to release, whether they're going to, you know, run out to the perimeter. If running out to the perimeter means that they're going to go block on the the perimeter or, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, I want the, I, I, you know, the versatility of a do it all tight end, you know, just is, uh, on strategic, uh, and, uh, it, whereas wide receivers do more or less one thing they receive. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I like me a good tight end. Um, and, and, like I said, the, the way that the, you know, you know, Oregon's got, you know, K- K- Casey Kelly announced that he's hitting the transfer portal, but, you know, they are potentially, I I, I would all, all probably say likely bringing back both Patrick Herbert and Terrence Ferguson yeah, and, they have Ken- and they have Kenyon Sadiq, you know, who, you know, is a true freshman is going to get another year to develop you know so so that means that like pugliano and sally Apaga, like hey we don't need to see you at all until 2026 like yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. which is good yeah yes which is, which is nice i, I know like you, you know these are, these are like, these are guys who are like in, in the 247 composite they're like four stars or borderline four star for in, in the case of pugliano um like you know, Oregon's not going to be in the Pac-12, but in the Pac-12, like any other two like oh my god, we got to play you right now. Like you know, like like when Cal got Jermaine Terry mm-hmm. as a four-star, they were playing his him as a true freshman. He wasn't ready to play as a true freshman. He needed like three more years to bulk up before he could play effectively in Bill Musgrave's offense. But mm-hmm. like they were so desperate. Because they, you know, were so bad at recruiting that they were like, you know, in you go, and yeah. uh, and then he transfers to Oregon State. Oregon State is so desperate for a tight
1: end because and they have to throw him into the mix too. Yeah, yeah exactly, and and, no, and it, I mean, it goes I, back to kind of like what we were, you know, similarly discussing with Dante Moore last time too about how just mm-hmm. like that's how that's how well Oregon's Oregon's recruiting has been in in the sense that uh, their, their roster building each year allows for these, you know, four and five star guys to really be able to sit back and just like do nothing for a year or two. And then by the time that they are, you know, like, well, do nothing on the field, play, you know, presumably yeah, they're, 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 they're really ready. ready to play. They're like pl- ready to play grown man football. Yeah.
0: Which is like, I got to tell you, man, like that's what, you know, from doing all this roster studying, you know, that I do during the off season and, 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 and in preparation for the, the in-season articles that I write, like, you know, you can see these moves years in advance. And I know it's like, I, 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 I know how that sounds, uh, but like, you know, I, I, I can see how the 2026 seasons for all these teams are shaping up. Oh yeah. Uh, Yeah it's like reading the matrix, you know, when I'm looking at my database, um, and, and and like, and when I look at programs, like when I've studied programs like Georgia and Ohio state and Oklahoma, and like these blue bloods, like they aren't, they aren't slapping together a program you know out of the portal to make a run at the playoffs for this year and then they exhaust themselves and are like all right whew, uh, let's see if we can do this again for next year which is yeah. why i'm like really skeptical of like florida state and next next year like team a lot of folks are real excited about old miss you know because they had a good bowl mm-hmm. game and they 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 got mm-hmm. a bunch of transfers and i'm like that's not a team that's going the distance because yeah. T- that's
1: t- pre- pre- too much too much predicated on on just you know kind of like finding guys for just that season, yeah. Which is why you know like I said we were you know discussing that uh, not just coming from a place of, of loathing, uh, mm. but uh, Washington you know probably going to take a huge step back from from playing national title to yeah because it's just like you have to you have to develop you have to build and you have to have guys waiting in the wings i mean i like you you
0: you look there is a possibility that the 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 transfer portal really is fundamentally transformative, and that I'm talking about like fighting the last war, and yeah. the, you know I'm making assumptions, you know based on, you know all this data that now I need to throw out, and it's possible that those guys are right, and you really can each year starting anew put together. You know a uh, a championship squad out of the portal and so screw you know prep recruiting but um, like you
1: said that's not the that's not the the you know the foundation of like the blue bloods of college football sure. the georgias it, it, what, the Alabamas, the Michigans you know yeah yeah it, like it, it,
0: it's just that like if it turns out that that is the case that it would be a sh- a shock. You know, like we have no data to indicate that that's possible. Meanwhile, we have a ton of data so far, you know, in the first five years of the portal's existence uh, that indicates that every team that's tried to do that, like, for example, UCLA, you know, Mm -hmm. where Chip Kelly recruits like crap, but like, you know, grabs himself up, you know, some portal players yeah. And then everybody was just like, hey, maybe you don't need to recruit. Like, I'm not kidding about this. Go read. I mean, it's hard to do. But, like, I swear to God it's true. Go read. If you would read UCLA boards and the actual, like, they are paid money to write about UCLA people, Uh, you know, articles would be with a straight face and with serious demeanor would write chip kelly has proved that you don't actually need to recruit anymore you know you (laughs) can just get a competitive squad out of the portal and it's just a matter of you know of coaching them and he needs to make the correct coaching decisions on game days and so my criticism of him is just you know restricted to uh, uh the the questions of whether he's making the those correct decisions on game days and i'm like you are fooling yourself you dumb dumb like yeah. um and and this demonstrates that you are not the objective journalist that you claim to be uh, because no data driven journalist would come to that conclusion we do not have data to support that whatsoever yeah. um and you
1: have to, it, it's it's going to it's going to come down to 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 showing you you know what what coaches really can not only you know stay on top with the with, with the with recruiting, but the uh, the you know the being able to get the best out of their talent too. Um, yeah you know so like it it'll it'll be telling for sure I mean
0: yes you you I mean you also need to have that component well yeah, yeah you have like to. and so the, like you know you the, talk about the, 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 the flip side of that of the, the, the like report. we just need to accumulate talent and then I can be an idiot on game day like yeah well go yeah. look at Miami, you know like but it you know, you
1: know it, it it works both ways because it's like it hasn't been these last couple years it'll really be the 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 next coming years that'll show, what kind of coaches guys like Lanning and DeBoer really are, you know, because all of a sudden they will be Sands, Knicks, and Pennix. So sure. like that's, yeah, yeah, that's, so then you have to look at like, can they do this without those diamonds in the rough that they have? And, but when you're uh, recruiting like that, when you're, you know, building something like that, that gives you a, a better shot at that, that even, you know what I mean? Like, because you, you have cool. the better talent to coach.
0: Well, I mean, just first and foremost, the thing about the the thing about All right. it's it's the raffle ticket thing. You, you know, like like we were th- we were talking about a second ago. You know, with, with with basketball. Although honestly, I was borrowing that from football in the first place. So yeah. back to football. Uh, it's, more, it's more so in
1: football. You know, it, the thing
0: about you know far. transfer guys is that you, your eighty five scholarship cap still applies, and your transfer guy. You, you know, you, you only get him for a couple of years, right? You get him for fewer years than you get a high school recruit yeah. so that high school recruit that you spend one scholarship on but you get them for five years that compared to a transfer that you spend one scholarship on that you get for well fewer than that like it's the same one scholarship against your 85 cap which is the only number that matters anymore because they've more or less done away with the initial counter rule and everything else uh and and, and And so relying on transfers means buying fewer raffle tickets. It means betting on, you know, uh, a smaller pool of players working out for you. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, building it up, you know, organically through high school recruiting means you have a deeper pool of available uh, uh, players. It means you have a deeper bench um you know that's that's the math behind the football factories there's also this is harder to quantify but i just believe it's true there's also a, a you you definitely see it on on the lines uh sort of a you know the, the uh, offensive lines need to gel you, you, they need to play together and you, like the data is super, super, super clear that you cannot put together a transfer portal based offensive line, um, and, and that trying yeah. is it just a ha, has been like every school that's tried it.
1: And we've discussed that before. Yeah, how, I know how, how that's I, always yeah. just like a failure waiting to happen. Yeah,
0: and it's interesting because different position groups have very different results regarding how successful portal. Like you can parachute in a quarterback and it's like, and he, he's, like hell, he can be far more successful. Oh well, that's. I mean, school.
1: we've 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 already seen yeah. that in previous years, not just with Nixon Penix, but guys yeah. like Jaden Daniels, guys like Hendon Hooker. Oh yeah, and, you know, like it can, happens. Yeah. I mean, it,
0: it, it like it's almost the norm that a transfer quarterback will do better at the the new school compared to the old yeah. school. I mean, it's it's not. I, that
1: my tongue is in my cheek when I, see, the, when uh, I say the, that. The, the the three the three quarterback Heisman candidates were all transfer portal. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean. <laughs>
0: (laughs) You know, I, like in 2023, I think like almost every one of the quarterbacks, uh, in the Pac-12 was a transfer, you know, Mm -hmm. um, there's, you know, quarterbacks are just, their success is so intimately tied to the system that they're operating in, um, you know, and the fit, uh, with the coaching staff that, hundred yeah, like, I mean, that's, that, that's
1: why, that's why you saw, uh, you know, the two, two Heisman finalists this year had previously been, you know, an injury bust and, and an overrated guy that couldn't play, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just like, well, no, apparently they just needed the right system, the right coaching. Yeah. And
0: like supporting, out. you know, and supporting cast. Supporting they're sort cast, of like, you know? yeah, they're, they're sort of, i don't know i could have a bunch of different metaphors race through my head uh they they sort of okay they're kind of like apex predators although they're not predating on their teammates they are being supported by their teammates but like yeah. it, it's like in ecosystem analysis the like the apex pred the health of the apex predator is indicative of the health of the larger ecosystem because Mm -hmm. you can't have a healthy wolf at the top of the ecosystem unless each of the trophic chains below it are also healthy you know all the way down to like the algae in the stream you Mm -hmm. know needs to be healthy in order to feed all the way up to the wolf at the top like and so like you know, uh, so that's, that was the Knicks phenomenon, you know, is he went from, a uh, uh, a, uh, you know Auburn, where they had crappy offensive line performances, crappy wide receivers, you know, crappy play calling, uh, and, and and so forth. To you know Oregon, where none of that obtained. It was a mm-hmm. it was a healthy ecosystem that he transferred into, and so he got to be you know the wolf at the top of it. You know, like right. Yeah. Uh, and you know, Nick's didn't really change. He just switched ecosystems. Exactly. Um, so, you know, it totally makes sense. Whereas your offensive linemen, those guys are more like they're like the 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 the, the trees in the forest. Like they, they you you can't transplant a tree, you know, or I mean, you can, but it's a fraught proposition as any property owner might know. Uh, you know, you you need to grow the tree. And that means you needed to plant that tree 20 years ago, like uh. Boy, this metaphors <laughs> really, <laughs> really blowing up under me. Uh, anyway, metaphor mania. Here we go. <laughs> hey, what about these? Uh, the rest of these offensive uh, skill players. Uh, we we talked about some of these wide receivers. Um, they also brought in uh, Luke Moga, uh, the the quarterback. Um, we talked about uh, we talked about quarterbacks a little bit. Um, I really like this quarterback chain that they're building up. Right, Mm that they have Dylan Gabriel, uh, who will, you know, plays last year of eligibility. They've got, um, you know, Dante Moore, who has, as we talked about, Adam like is is happy to sit behind, you know, Gabriel, uh, and uh, and Novosad, who are both in Mm -hmm. the same recruiting class, so they get to compete. And then Luke Moga, the freshman comes in. Luke might be one, like one of the fastest dudes alive. Yeah. Um, he is, a, he is
1: a blur. Yeah. And, uh, um, I mean, I, you know, I know that he was just a, you know, a, a three star from 24 seven, but sometimes, you know what I mean? Like I said, just un, under the right system and, you know, with the, with the right, uh, with the right coaching, you can, you know, develop those guys into, into something truly special. And, and, and that's, you know, that's why it's, it's it's nice to be able to get another um, quarterback recruit who can, you know, like I said, really be just kind of like the uh, the, uh, the the last string on there, but then the, the one that could potentially just sit, soak things in for at least a year or two.
0: Well, the thing is, he's the reason why he's just a three star is not because of his athletic limitations like like a lot of three stars who are quarterbacks are like well this kid's really smart and we really think he's got the brains to be you know a great quarterback but like oh man he can't hit the entire field or like or he's a statue in the pocket you know Mm -hmm. he's you know Mogat's the other way around you know it's he's he's kind of new to being a quarterback you know he's Mm -hmm. he's still kind of learning the position but his athletic you know his just his speed is like through the roof and like you can't teach that and look does that mean that I'm guaranteeing that this guy is going to be a Heisman winner no obviously not but like given that Oregon is now really set up well at their 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 quarterback position you know where they have Gabriel and more and Nova Sad so that Moga can sit and learn like he's already got all the athletic gifts and now he's got all the time, you know, to, to be behind like three other quarterbacks and a great quarterback coach, you know, and Will Stein. Uh, yeah. You know, where he can develop those skills. It's just like this is this is optimal for his development. Like,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. I mean, I'm
0: not guaranteeing that he's going to be Marcus Mariota. No, but, but, you, but you, can't, get- you
1: can't you can't you can't teach athleticism right if you're you know? gonna
0: get a Marcus Mariota out of him and, and when I say that I mean like a dude who's like a super a running you know dual threat quarterback who like yeah. who defenses are you know terrified by because at any moment he can take off yeah. and you know if you're gonna get a Mariota type of quarterback out of Luke Moga this is the situation that you had to have Mm -hmm. in order to get that yeah and and so and so having that situation great perfect yeah and if it doesn't work out oh, well, you have three more years to have recruited, you know, different quarterbacks. So, you know, it's not like, uh, oh, no, uh, Oregon made their investment in a quarterback who who maybe doesn't work out. And then, oh, no, they're le- left in the lurch. And and what are they going to do now? Will they, mm-hmm. you know, it, this is like perfect this is the perfect thing to take a flyer on. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: You have other options. And yeah. I mean, you know, if are are you going to end up getting a Mariota or Dixon kind of like guy where he can just break an eighty yarder at, a, yeah. at a moments notice?
0: Actually, but, Dixon is a much better, in more yeah. Well, I mean, Marriota. yeah, people
1: people people just tend to forget because of his health how how deadly that dude actually was. Yeah, I mean, open field. But uh yeah, I mean, like I like I said, you can't you can't coach that. So yeah. and the fact that that's already there is is a big plus, and then. Finally, uh, we get around to the, uh, the running back, um, room here where we, uh, picked up DeJuan Riggs. Um, what do you, uh, what, what are you thinking about this guy? I, I think it's nice to have a, you know, a little bit of a, of a, of a larger guy come in and, you know, kind of like predicated on our, our smaller shiftier running backs lately. It might be kind of nice to have a, have a bruiser. Yeah. I like team. that. It's,
0: I, I like that as a freshman, he comes in at 200 pounds. Um, uh, Yeah. Because I mean, it was definitely clear from the dudes, you know, when I, okay. Carlos Lachlan, uh, uh, for a while, I was pretty fond of saying that he definitely had a type because when I looked at Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington and, uh, Jaden Lamar, and also the film study project that I did on Western Kentucky in 2021, which was a really fascinating project and taught me about a lot of different connections about teams that Oregon wound up playing in 2023. Um, It was like one of the turned out to be most consequential film study projects that I ever did. Um, uh, and it was on Oregon's running backs coach, you know, and I, I I didn't little did I know that it would wind up being as as valuable as it was because uh, that staff wound up, you know, having a bunch of interconnections to a bunch of other teams. Anyway, um, the, the 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 one of the things that I learned when I was watching Carlos Laughlin at Western Kentucky in 2021 was that. When he was brought in, along with a couple other new coaches in 2021, by the longtime head coach who had cleared out his offensive staff, he was like, we need new offense. And so he cleared out the offensive coaching staff, brought in, among others, Carlos Lachlan. Carlos Lachlan clears out the running back room including uh, two of the guys that he inherited in the running back room were converted defensive ends. So he was like, okay, we're not having defensive ends be our running backs anymore. Um, and that, yeah. That's how it, that might give you a hint as to why the head coach was like, we need a new offense. Um, so anyway, uh, the, um, so he basically institutes for a four running back system, of whom, like basically, none of those guys were getting carries in the, the under the previous coach. Um, all four of those guys, of whom one was Noah Whittington, the guy who came with him to Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, all four of those guys, very similar body types, very similar running styles, and so what I took away from that was like Carlos Lachlan definitely like has a strong imprint on. The running backs like he's not a you know i would characterize him as a strong coach in that way as a like like in politics we talk about the strong mayor model or versus the weak mayor model or strong governors weak governors like he's a strong coach he strongly imprints you know uh has preferences that he insists upon uh and so like so yeah uh but one of the things that was sort of missing at all the things that i you know both western kentucky and his two years at oregon was like where's your thumper man you know like where's your you know goal line you know big dude and so then he goes yeah Juwan riggs and i'm like oh yeah there
1: there." (laughs) it's been a yeah it was a long story a little while since we've since we've had a you know, a blunt, but it's like free, but this like, kind of guy, you know, or it was. But this yeah. is
0: like a, a Carlos Lachlan style. To finally answer your question, like I, 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 I could have just answered your question with a sentence, uh, but it, that sentence wouldn't have made any sense until I told that whole story. the The sentence is: This is a Carlos Lachlan style thumper. Mm-hmm. He's like, if you look at his dimensions he looks like Bucky Irving or Noah Whittington, but just like scaled up
1: 15%.
0: Yeah. You know? So like the way that he, like when I was watching his huddle tape, like he, he like moves, like the way that he cuts and the way that he moves and like his, just his body type, like it, it's like, this is a Carlos Lachlan back, but like someone just like click shifted him and like scaled him up 10%. So yeah. he's a thumper. <laughs> I'm like, okay, now I get it. I get why Carlos Lachlan wanted this guy.
1: Yeah, Absolutely.
0: uh let's see do we forget anybody we talked about uh grishan mccallum we talked about palom uh oh jack wrestler he's sort of the, he's the lowest rated guy in the class in the
1: wide receiver room um yeah I, well he only played four games so he's uh yeah he's kind of a uh, wild card
0: uh, yeah, he might, Um, I don't know I, I have heard some people say That he's, uh, you know, he's a pretty Sharp guy and that he he might You know, wind up being, you know, one of These, uh, you know, pass receivers Types, you know, like the, the guy where You're like, how does that guy have like a You know, a thousand receiving yards, but You know, he's just always open, he, he makes Good mm-hmm. moves after the catch, like So, yeah, I don't know, we'll, we'll keep an eye on him, he's also Like the son of billionaires, so maybe That's, you know, part yeah, of it too Like I already you, you know, yeah. confined finance all the team retreats yeah, exactly. on his own time. Those,
1: those boosters, you know. Gotta, yeah, gotta right. know them. <laughs> uh,
0: maybe, maybe that's it. Or the modern-day connection. Like, maybe he's essential to getting all his buddies from modern-day to, to to come to the Ducks, yeah, too. I awesome. don't know. I don't want to dismiss his athletic talents and just say... Wow, the, a, cali, the Cali
1: flock is real. A it's a real yeah. thing. <laughs> uh,
0: but, like, if you are going to get a Nepo baby, you know, billionaires, kids, yeah, th- those are... Yeah. <laughs> once again. Uh all right. I think we talked to everybody in the 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 skill position group. This is a good article. Um all right let's uh let's wrap it up there you got any parting words of wisdom for us Adam
1: um I know the fiesta bowl wasn't exactly you know what we all wanted uh but hopefully y'all were able to appreciate uh, especially two guys in in Nixon irving who really just had nothing to gain out of playing in that game just being able to see them suit up for oregon one more time because man did those two make a hell of a difference in the two years that they were at oregon
0: uh yeah no, it was definitely uh, a great send-off for those guys um and uh yeah speaking of transfers you know like it there there were definitely times you just you just traded, forgot they were transfers because they just embraced being ducks so much, you know, like they did not seem like mercenaries or rentals at all, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, they seemed like they loved Oregon, Oregon loved them back. And that was, you know, pretty cool. And in, in sort of a similar vein, you, you got to see, Hey, speaking of offensive skill position players, you know, today we got the news that uh, among others, uh, that, that has Johnson and Trayshawn Holden, um, both of whom had great games in the Fiesta Bowl or, or coming back for 2024. So yeah. that'll uh, be we'll, we'll something we'll delve that... into this
1: week. Sure. Yeah, hours. definitely. I,
0: I'm, yeah. I'm sure we'll wind up writing about that in the, um, uh, uh upcoming here shortly. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It was a good. Good. I, I'm sure that that opponent was not the one that Oregon was hoping for in the postseason, but it, it, you know, nonetheless was, a I I think was a pretty, you know, it was, a, it was a fun send off. And, uh, uh I certainly enjoyed the uniforms. <laughs> I think that was a pretty sexy look. Uh, uh, and they got to play in Glendale, Arizona, where it was, uh, you know, it, hopefully, you know, fairly sunny, fairly warm. Uh, <laughs> the, the weather looked fairly nice. Of course it never rains on this podcast.